following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are taken off, if you would open up your Bibles. We are in 1 Peter today. 1 Peter's on the right hand side of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. Peter writes a letter to the exiles, which is the church, scattered in dispersion all over what we know as modern-day Turkey. Uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 8 through 12. I don't know if you realize it or not, uh, but there is a massive amount of fear and anxiety that is moving all across our country. The more people I talk to, the more people will tell me they're afraid, they're nervous, and they ask, is there an antidote for that? Is there a solution to that problem of being afraid and nervous? And I said, yes, absolutely, that's God's Word. All 66 books are useful for teaching and training us in righteousness, and the more we depend and give God control, the less we have to be afraid But Jesus calls us to remove our grip on the things that we hold so near and dear to our life so that we can have confidence and so that we can be at peace, have real peace, have real joy and what that looks like. So our goal today is to do exactly that. We're going to see if we can do an examination on where we're at right now in life and look at Peter's letter and see what we need to do to conform more to Christ, to loosen our grip so that we're not afraid, so that we're not anxious. And so that we're fully dependent. Let's look at this. First Peter chapter 3. And uh, we'll start in verse 8. And we're going to go to verse 12. He says, finally. Finally. You could circle that word because what he's doing is he is uh, essentially summarizing everything that he just said in regards to how we are to function in this world. So he says, children, you are to obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And parents said, absolutely. Okay. And then he says something a little bit harder. He says, this is how you're supposed to function in the workplace from employee to employers. And that's a little bit harder. Amen, isn't it? He says, then you're supposed to submit yourself to government and the governing authorities. And that's an even harder amen in today's society. And then he says, wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. And wives are like, that's it, I'm done. (laughs) But he says all of these things are an action on how you are to love the Lord. And they're all an act of worship as you obey the Lord. Stephen says, husbands, this is your spiritual act of worship in regards to living a life that would be honoring to him so that he can hear your prayers. So he says, finally, knowing all these things about submission and seeking the Lord, he says, all of you. And I love that because Peter essentially says, in case I missed anyone, here's the for the rest of you. You should have these six things in mind. You should have unity in your minds. You should have sympathy. You should have brotherly love. You should have a tender heart. And you should have a humble mind. And then he says, also, verse 9, you should not repay evil for evil. And if we were honest, we would say, but Peter is so fun. You shouldn't revile for reviling. But on the contrary, you are to bless because you have been blessed. For to this you were called believers, that you may obtain a blessing. 
So something joyous might come in your life. Peter's writing to believers. What is a believer? A believer is one who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're losing this in our church in today's society on what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Those who have confessed their sinners and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if you've never made that decision, you need to make that decision today because the day is approaching where God is going to come and He's going to return. He's going to take us home. And for those who have refused to make that decision, they're not going to be able to make that decision after Jesus comes back. And God says, I call you into the family of God. And he says, believers, you're going to face persecution for your beliefs. You're going to face people who are going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, you, you, you believe in this Jesus guy and I'm going to treat you harshly because of that relationship that you have with God. That's going to happen in your life. As a matter of fact, the more you live in a life that is conformed to the image of God through faith in Christ, the more people will ridicule you for it. And that's what happens here in the text. And they had to be reminded of these things, this unity, this love, this support, as they leaned on the Lord. And Peter assures, ready for this, believers, that no matter your sufferings, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing in your life, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, two things held fast. Number one, that God is still good, in good times and bad. He's still sovereign, he's still in control, he's still on the throne. Okay, And number two, and this is where the big praise came from the people. He's coming and he will right every wrong and he will smash his enemies. And we're like, hallelujah, amen? If you didn't say hallelujah, then you don't have any enemies and you need to get out more, all right? <clears throat> God is our defense. And he says, you as believers in Jesus Christ, you need to choose trust over fear and you need to believe that Christ is in control of everything and all things. And when you do that, when you relinquish control of your thoughts and your emotions over to God, you cannot be shaken by anything. It doesn't matter situations, circumstances, or enemies that come and present themselves to you. You will not be shaken. That's what his, his goal here is, is he presents these six components for us of a surrendered life. He says, I want you to take evaluation this morning, get right with God, and see where you need to line up to his word. Let me pray for clarity real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth and the fact that it is your truth. It's not my opinion. And as we preach it here today, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers as well. Help us to evaluate our own life right now and see where we're off. Conform us to the image of Christ until you come to call us home. And may we live this way so loudly that the people who are outside of these church walls want a relationship with you. And may your church be built up as we continue to preach your word. And God, be glorified today. Help me to be clear. May your spirit speak louder than my voice. Amen. All right, six components of a believer's surrendered life. This is what God is calling us to, to relinquish control of. Number one, you should have verse eight, first part, a unified mindset. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe that the Bible, all 66 books, are the word of God? Unified mindset right there. Do you believe in the truth? There is an absolute truth. We ask teenagers this all the time. Do you believe in absolute truth? I don't know. What's absolute truth? The Bible's absolutely true. Okay, then I believe in absolute truth. Glad we could get that accomplished for you. This is nothing new. This is a teaching from Paul in Romans 15. 
Paul said, you need to come underneath the authority of Scripture. It should move you to a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Where he says, verse 5, May the God of endurance, the one who prevails, the one who continues to prevail, the God of encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice, there's that unified mindset, Glorify the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What unifies us as a church? Number one, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the absolute truth that leads us into edification, the push that you are all missionaries, no matter where you're located. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are called to evangelize. You're called to share the gospel that Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. If you're not sharing that, With people in your life, you're living in disobedience to God's word. So you are called to evangelize to those who need Jesus Christ. You have the best, greatest message ever. And if you're not sharing it, you're losing out. Because not only is the gospel to be communicated for those who are lost, but it's also uh, to be communicated so that we would be edified, built up, and encouraged. Every time you share the gospel with Jesus Christ, it affirms the relationship that you have with Jesus. It's like when I walk down the street and I tell people that I'm married to the best woman in the entire world, right? You tell people that. You say, you say I'm married and I have kids and I have great kids. And you say it over and over again, okay? They need to hear it, but at the same time, it also builds us up. So we fall underneath the authority of Scripture to evangelize and to edify. In other words, Peter says, you all should think the same thing about life. That unifies you as a church. When you cling to things that are outside opinions, that's where fear comes in. That's where anxiety comes in. That's where you start to get afraid. But he says, listen, church, when you're underneath the same unified mindset, even though you're from different backgrounds, even though you're from different races, even though you're from different cultures, there is harmony. It is possible because the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old song is true. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, I've never met a red child ever. Okay? But he loves them regardless. So as we're going through our society and people are looking at it and saying one life is greater than another life or whatever the case may be, we look at it and we say Jesus loves all the children of the world. And that unifies us because the Bible says it is true because he died on the cross for our sins. It's just like different notes from different chords make beautiful harmonies. So different people can live and work together under Christ. Are you underneath the authority of Scripture? Are you evangelizing and are you edifying, building up the church? You live that way, we see that fear and anxiety starts to cease. Move down to sympathy. Next part of verse 8. You should be sympathetic or feeling sympathy for one another. When we are fearful and afraid, it's often because we're focused on ourselves and not what's transpiring with somebody else. This word means that you're willing to share in other people's needs. You're responding to their feelings with sensitivity and compassion. Again, Paul talked about this in Romans 12 where he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is how this breaks down in our society. You ready for this? That means when somebody gets the promotion, you go, Awesome, good job. Man, I'm so happy for you, right? Not in a way where you're demeaning to them, but where you actually truly mean it. All right? You got a new house? Praise the Lord, right? 
more to clean, but glory to God. Okay, when somebody loses a loved one, we hurt with that person who loses a loved one. When somebody has a, 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 a loses a job, we, we hurt with that person who loses. We're sympathetic, but we can't be sympathetic unless we're underneath the authority of Scripture and we have a relationship with Christ because Christ was sympathetic to us when he died on the cross for our sins. Now, this is pretty straightforward, but it gets neglected all the time. And when we have a mindset where we're focused on others and not on ourselves, we realize just how big this world is, how great this God that we worship is. And we have the ability to see our fears and our anxieties cease. Because we're not concerned so much about ourselves, we're concerned about others. If you look at the early church in the book of Acts, they just gave away to anybody who had need. And they realized that every gift was a gift from God to be given out. And that connects to brotherly love. See the next part in verse 8? He's talking to the church. He says, this is a love that you have for the brothers and sisters. Okay. In the Greek, the the Greek word love there is Philadelphia or Philadelphios. And refers to not just family love, but a special love that draws us together. So when I get here, okay, on Sunday morning, and I see all of you individuals from all your individual backgrounds, and we're unified underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can love you regardless of whether or not we get along. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, right? There are some people in my life, my personality, their personality just doesn't line up. We know it, we're okay with it, and heaven, God will right that wrong, okay? And so we high five on the way out, and we're like, hey man, I can't wait till you leave, me neither, but I still love you, praise the Lord, amen. (laughs) Brotherly love, all right, is the ability to get along with people even though you may disagree, Okay, 1 Thessalonians says, love one another. Hebrews 13 says, let that brotherly love continue. And the church was built on this love, and so you too should love one another. And again, he's looking externally. He's looking at others, right? When you're focused on others, you can't be focused on yourself. And if you can't be focused on on yourself, then fear and anxiety can't harvest internally. Now, As you're focused externally, look what Peter says. He says, your hearts will start to become tender. What does he mean by tender heart? That is a word that, the word that is used there cannot be translated into English. Now, I understand this totally, okay? Because I have some Dutch brothers in my life. Somebody said the other day, they said, you don't know what it's like to be in a a place where there's not diversity. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second, Okay. If my children walk down the hallway, there are Hispanics there, there are African-Americans there, there's Amish there, and they're all speaking a different language. I feel like I'm at the Tower of Babel. Okay? There's diversity all over the place. And when I talk to Dutch people sometimes, this is what they do. They talk to me in English, and then they switch over real fast. Has this ever happened to you? Happens to me when I talk to people who speak Spanish, too. Like, they'll start talking to me, and then all of a sudden, they'll throw in a Spanish word, and I'm like, what? What did you just say? And they're like, well, sorry, it doesn't translate over into your language. My language? I didn't create this language, okay? But I understand. There's just some things that don't translate over. That tender heart doesn't translate over. The Greek word there is derived from the, another Greek word, which means the internal organs, like kidneys and liver and heart. And in context, Peter here uses internal organs to point to a seat of emotions or feelings, In the New Testament, to have this tender heart was to feel so deeply for someone that you were touched and moved by their hurt and their pain that you would stop everything 
and you would just fully engage with them. It is the equivalent to us like putting down our cell phone and being like, okay, you have my undivided attention. It is when your wife starts talking, husbands, and you turn off the TV and you go, you have my attention. Okay? That's exactly what tender hearts means here. There's no English expression strong enough to capture the impact of this word as he says it. Believers, when they read this, they were so cut to the heart that they should be affectionate and sensitive and quick to give emotional support to those who needed it the most. No matter where they were at, no matter what they were going through, Peter's saying the same thing that Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 11. You must be deeply concerned for people. Now, here's what tender heart does, okay? A tender heart is kind of like, as we're dedicating these children today, a tender heart is one who is so moved that they warn in a loving way. So let's just say you're standing on, or you see somebody, you go uh, into Bremen today, and you, uh, go, uh, you're about to go across those brand new railroad tracks, praise the Lord, okay? Um, <clears throat> that don't give you, uh, anyway, irrelevant. And <clears throat> you see somebody standing on the railroad tracks, right? And you think to yourself, what in the world? Like, I get it, 2020 is crazy, but what are you doing? And then you realize the train's coming. And you are so moved. You throw your car in a uh, park, and you get out of your car, and you say, you've got to get off the tracks. The train's coming closer and closer and closer. What do you do? You, you move to them, and you're like, I could do this, right? Football tackle time, here we go. And you're so cut to the heart. You're so, your heart is so moved by what is transpiring. You get them out of the way of the train. Okay? That's what uh, Peter says to the church here. Your heart should be so moved that you should have compassion for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you warn them of the dangers that are coming in their life from the sin that is manifesting in their heart. Whoa. That you're so moved and cut to the heart that you would do anything possible to help them. And we look at it all the time, and what do we say? I just don't want to offend you. I would rather offend somebody and see them flourish in a relationship with Christ than let them go and see sin sink them. That's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying, see, again, you're, you can't be self-centered. You have to be others-focused. And he's talking to the church. And this means, here's the next one, you need to be humble. You should have humility. Humility means having an honest assessment of yourself before God. Humility doesn't contradict with your worth and ability, or inflate it. So it's right in that middle ground, okay? I always tell people I do three things really, really well, okay? Number one, preach and teach. Number two, very administrative. Ready for this? Third spiritual gift. I delegate with the best of them, right? Man, I can point you to a spot where you could serve at the church. Come find me. I'll put you in a place, right? And some of you are sitting there, and I go, I know firsthand what he's talking about. He did that to me. Still there, right? Praise the Lord, you're growing in your relationship with Christ. Amen, hallelujah. But it doesn't say, oh, look at me, I'm so great, all right? And it doesn't say, oh, well, I don't have all the gifts. It's the middle ground where we see humble believers can honestly view their characteristics and abilities with thankfulness to God, but also get other people in the proper place to as well. It realizes where they're at in the family of God, and they encourage one another and rejoice in each other's success. Now, the crazy thing, if you were reading that, humility was not a trait that was considered virtuous in Greek society. People looked at it and said, what does it mean to be humble? It's not to think too highly of yourself. It's not to think too lowly of yourself. 
It's not to think too highly of your country. It's not to think too lowly of your country. It's that middle ground. Jesus comes along, and all of a sudden, he starts to influence believers to think as humility, as a virtue, over a weakness. He says, understand you have a place in the family of God. Women or men, children, didn't matter. You have a place in the family of God, and you participate accordingly to that place, and you help people see their place. So you have a call here to be humble, to see that you have a purpose. And the more we realize that God has plans and purposes for his people, the more we have to relinquish control. And this is how this shakes out. That means that we need to stop trying to do everything ourselves. Whether it's in the church or in the home, right? We need to stop saying that I can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, but that's talking about your spiritual life, okay? That's not talking about the fact that you have all the gifts. If you think that you have all the gifts... Okay, you're so far off. That's not what God's word says. Just as Jesus loves all the little children of the world, he also has a purpose for all the little children of the world, and that's to know their place. And so he commands us to be humble and understand that you also need help. Control and anxiety and fear cease the more you ask for help. Why are we so scared to ask for help? We were talking about this the other day with a group of guys, and I told them, I said, it is amazing how many men will not ask for prayer. Why do we do that? It is amazing how many men won't ask for directions. It is amazing how many men won't ask for anything. Ask for help. Until you get to the place where you see how much God has helped you. Look at the sixth one. This is really interesting. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Now that word... Um, evil is translated sometimes a curse, okay? If you do all these things, you have a unified mindset, sympathetic, brotherly love, tender heart, humility, people are going to come at you and they're going to say some really bad things about you. They're going to speak abusively to you and Peter's command here is that you shouldn't return harsh, abusive words with harsh, abusive words. Instead, you were to bless the other person by doing good. Now, Jesus talked about this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where he says, you love your enemies and you pray for those who mistreat you. And sometimes when people mistreat me, I just start praying for them out loud to their face. Okay, that's fun. He says, if God, though, has blessed you in Christ, then you are called to be a blessing to others. Whoa. That means when I see somebody else's shortcomings and sins, whether it's on CNN or it's in my community, I realize that I make the same mistakes. I'm there. I've done that. I don't look at myself as being higher or lower than the other person, but I look at it and say, man, we're all falling short of the glory of God. When somebody speaks harshly of you, when somebody says bad things about you or your family, you remain quiet because people did the same for Jesus. Now, all of those things, could those be said about you? If I were to look at all those things and I would say, man, do you have a unified mindset with the brothers and sisters who are gathered here today? I think most of us would say yes. Are you sympathetic? I think most of us would say about 50%. Do you have brotherly love? I talked to a pastor friend of mine the other day and he said the, the coolest part of his church is two people that hate each other go to the same church but they sit in different sections. Do you have a tender heart moved by people? Are you humble? Are you bent on repaying evil for evil? Have you been hurt and want to repay the wrongs that were done? 
Well, the Bible shows us here how we are to respond. Number one, if we haven't done so already, we submit ourselves in salvation through faith in Christ. The first part of relinquishing control means giving over to God what he has given to us, and that is life. We say, God, here's my life. I give it to you. Now, some of you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've prayed that prayer. You've said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe in a Savior. But let me ask you another question. Have you surrendered control to the Holy Spirit? You can't be those things without surrendering control. When the Bible says that we are to respond in salvation to Christ, it is not just so that we can gain all of what God has given to us. It's so that we can be humble and repent before the Lord. And he says, when you have submitted to Christ in salvation, then the next thing is you surrender and submit your ways for God's ways. When you do everything, you'll assume, or people will assume, that you have an ulterior motive. When you start living like the Lord, all of a sudden people look at you and they say, what's in it for you? Nothing's in it for me. It's in it for Jesus. And look at Peter as the example. Did you notice that? Like we wonder here as we look at the text, is there, is there an example for us to follow in, in regards to a guy who did this with his everyday life? Yeah, it's Peter. Look what Peter does in his relationship with Jesus. Peter's always the guy that wants control, isn't he? Matter of fact, he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I don't think we should do that. And Jesus calls him Satan. That's fun. I think Jesus has done that with me a couple of times in my life. And Peter, even when Jesus is on the cross and he's crucified, what happens? Peter says, I never knew the guy, and he's hiding in the shadow while Jesus' blood is being shed. And then Jesus rises from the dead, and Peter accepts the free gift of the Holy Spirit, and his life starts to change and transform. And this man who is a coward at the foot of the cross now preaches at Pentecost to people, and they get saved. And we see this guy who is brass and has this weird personality now be used for the glory of God. But notice how he relinquished control. And so Peter's kind of speaking from his own life here. He's kind of saying, listen, I didn't have a unified mindset. I wasn't submissive. I didn't have any sympathy for people. Brotherly love, out. Tender heart, nope. Humble, me, no. Repay evil for evil, let's do it, right? I mean, in Gethsemane, he's like, he's like let's, let's draw some swords and kill some people. Okay, And here we look at it and we realize how much he has turned away from himself and into a relationship with Christ. And he is not afraid. He is not anxious. He is boldly proclaiming the gospel that he has received. You missed two verses. Look at verse 10. He says, for whoever... Oh, whoa, hold on a second. That's Psalm 34. Let's go over to Psalm 34. Because I love this passage of Scripture. It goes Psalms, Proverbs, in the Old Testament, to the left. Let me read this to you, because Peter is going to quote one of his favorite psalms, Psalm chapter 34. The title of the psalm is, Taste and See that the Lord is Good. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. I just want you to listen to this. But listen, and this is so uh, timely, because we just talked about this in Sunday school. This is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior. What? When he changed his behavior before Elimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Listen to what David says. Same thing that Peter says as he relinquishes control over to the Lord. Verse 1. I will bless, the word there is extol, meaning give up my all, to the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's surrender. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the 
Humble. Hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Unified mindset. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never to be ashamed. The poor man cried to the Lord and he heard him. And he saved him out of what? All his troubles. Seriously? This is the Bible? Who would have thought that this speaks to our generation today? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Not fear the world, fear the Lord. Follow his word. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer in want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they don't lack any good thing. They're good. Come, children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And here he's going to quote what Peter says. What man is there who desires life, who loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue. So this is how he says you live the good life. This is how he says you remove anxiety from your life. You, you remove fear from your life. This is how you relinquish control. You keep your tongue from evil, of the ways of the world. Your lips shouldn't speak deceit. Stop speaking wrong of others and start loving them like Christ did. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. Constantly, passionately pursue peace. The peace that you have obtained through Christ. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their trouble. Whoa. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, the the, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. He keeps his bones, not one of them is broken. And he closes here with this. He says, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will ever be condemned. Why are we not preaching that message to the world? I don't understand. Why are we not sharing that beautiful message with the world? Why do we keep it and conceal it as believers in Jesus Christ? I don't understand. Peter says, if you want to live the good life, if you want to experience good days, and he's not just talking about life uh, in regards to here in this day and age, but he's talking about eternal life. He says, people who trust Christ and want to enjoy an earthly life and an eternal life live this way. Both Peter knew it, the psalmist know it. The question on the table is, do you know it? Because I think we have an understanding of it as a church, but it hasn't trickled down into our hearts. We haven't become so consumed with the love of Christ that it pours out over into our own life. It's too self-serving. We take it too much and we don't give it away enough. And in these verses, the scattered and persecuted believers learn that those who trust in God through faith in Christ and live righteously have no reason to be afraid 
if they continue to relinquish control over to Christ. God will reward his followers with blessings both in this life and the life to come and he'll punish those who continue to reject him. Billy Graham was on a crusade one time and he told this story and he went on and on and on and on in the way that only Billy could, you know, with that thick southern accent. Sometimes I wish God would have given me a southern accent. That would just been great. You know, I think I'd be, uh, it's, it's so interesting how profound you sound if you have an accent, right? You can say anything you want. People just think, wow, that's really smart. But he's telling this big story about uh, the waves that are crashing and um, this big storm that's going on in the ocean and um, these big, huge waves. And all of a sudden, he says uh, that the sailors were watching. And all of a sudden, as the sailors were watching, one of the sailors looked and he saw this little tiny bird. This little tiny bird is just shoved in the crack of the rock. I mean, there's storms coming down and and the water is just bashing against. and, And this little bird, he's sitting there and he's... Sleeping. This little tiny bird is asleep. He says it way better than I did. He said, The storm was raging, the sea was beating against the rocks in huge dashing waves, the lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, the wind was blowing, but the little bird was asleep in the crevice of the rock. His head was tucked serenely underneath of its wing, and that is peace. To be able to sleep in the storms of life. In Christ, we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of confusions and bewilderments and perplexities of this life. The storm rages on, but our hearts are at peace. We have found peace at last through Jesus Christ. Remember the story about the disciples who were caught in the storm? What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Because he knows who's in control of all things. The question is, are we relinquishing control over to him? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your truth. And and now we have to take inventory of ourselves. And we have to ask these hard questions. Is the Bible our authority? Have we relinquished control over there? Are we externally focused on sharing the gospel that we have received and in turn blessing others by giving it to them? Are we building up your church by being sympathetic? Are we building up your church by showing brotherly love and having tender hearts and being humble? Or are we bent on repaying evil for evil? I think God, um, maybe we're doing it inadvertently, but I think we're repaying evil for evil. And we repent today. And we ask for your help to conform to your image. We want to experience what Peter calls the good life, which is peace and love and joy and all of these fruits of the Spirit which contradict the fruits of the flesh. But we must be like Peter, God. We have to relinquish control over to you. We have to give you full control. We have to be fully submissive to you and your word and your will. And so I pray that you would help your people do that and myself do that as well. As we see the storm raging in our world, that we would offer a peace in the storm. That we would offer a calm in the chaos. That we would offer Christ. 
who forgives, restores, redeems, heals, helps. Who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. May we lean on that understanding. And as we live to be in conformity to your will, may you continue to do great things. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you so much for all that you have done. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.